There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, and boron, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, and strontium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bismuth, bromine, lithium, beryllium, and barium. Well, talking about all these elements, which of course we do every week because I just love that introduction, the element song, and uh, mercury, of course, is one of the elements, and uh, the first question I'm going to ask you guys today is how come that HG is the symbol for the element mercury? So why is HD, HG, the symbol for the element mercury? And uh, second question, in what country in the world do most cars run on sugar? In what country in the world do most cars run on sugar? If you know the answer to either of those questions, 514-790-0800. And of course, you can also text to 514-800. Before we get underway here today, let me wish all of our uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, listeners a very happy new year. It is at this time of the year that uh, we look forward to a sweet new year uh, by taking apples, dipping them in honey, and eating them. Uh, also, pomegranate seeds are generally consumed as part of the festive meal. Reason for that is that there are 613 seeds, supposedly, in a pomegranate. And that just happens to be the same number of commandments, as I understand it, that are in the uh, Torah. I've not read the Torah, and I have not counted the seeds in pomegranate, so I can't give you an expert opinion on that. But uh, it is just an interesting observation. In any case, Happy New Year. And of course, even if you're not Jewish, you can eat apples and pomegranate seeds. They contain lots of polyphenols, which are antioxidants and are supposedly good for us. I'm Josh Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society, where we have a mandate to separate fact from myth, sense from nonsense, and to try to bring you up to date on whatever is happening in the world of, of science. I also have a challenge for you today. Here's what you want to do. Take a bowl of water in which you will float a lemon Lemons will float in water, as you will very quickly find out. The challenge is to take a coin and place it on top of the floating lemon so that it doesn't fall off. If you can manage to do that, and the coin stays on there for at least five seconds, and you send me a video of that, I will in return send you a copy of my new book, which is just out. It is called Quack Quack and you can imagine what it's all about, all kinds of uh, tales of quackery. And it's, uh, it's available. The easiest way to get it is you go to amazon.ca. So the book is called Quack Quack. So here's the challenge. Let me repeat this again. You'll take a bowl of water. It doesn't have to be very large, just large enough so that a lemon can float in it. And uh, take a coin, place it on top of the lemon. And if you can keep it there, for five seconds and send me a video of that, you will get in exchange a copy of my uh, 
Slater's book, Quack Quack. Uh, obviously, this is not a simple thing to do, but give it a shot. All right. Uh, I've had a lot and lot of questions this past week about the bivalent boosters, which are available um, here in, in, in Canada. Tremendous amount of confusion. Uh, let me see if we can clarify some of this. Well, first of all, let's just very quickly review what these vaccines are all about. The SARS-CoV-2 virus, which we've seen so many pictures of, we've all, you know, we've all learned to recognize it, especially because of the spike proteins that are featured on the periphery of this virus. These are little spikes sticking out from it. And uh, the spike protein uh, gives instructions for producing uh, uh, the spike pro or at, at least the spike protein is what you want to produce inside of a cell to teach the body to recognize it as a foreign substance and to develop antibodies in response to it. This is the, the whole concept behind both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. Uh, a molecule called messenger RNA codes for the production of this protein inside of a cell, and the cell learns to produce antibodies to it. Now, there's a problem because every time a virus replicates, which of course only happens inside a living cell, it can mutate. That means that, that the molecular structure of the spike protein changes when a different amino acid is incorporated into it. Anyway, this is what we call a variant. And once it gets out into the environment, it can infect people, if they, even if they have been previously vaccinated because their antibodies will not recognize this altered protein. So bivalent boosters are designed to deliver both the original spike protein and one or more of its variants that have been found to circulate. <clears throat> now the vaccines that are available, the bivalent boosters, available in Canada and in the US are not identical. Canada has approved a Moderna booster, and this one has been shown in human trials to generate antibodies to the original spike protein, as well as to the Omicron B1 variant. 28 days after this vaccine was administered to humans, there was a significant increase in neutralizing antibodies, both for the original virus and the B1 variant. But unfortunately, this B1 variant is no longer the dominant one. It is hardly found anymore. It has been outmuscled by the B4 and the B5 versions. Now, somewhat surprisingly, and as it turns out, luckily, this new Moderna vaccine in Canada has also generated antibodies to the B4 and B5 versions, although to a lesser degree. And we don't know how long these antibodies will last before they wane. And the thinking is that it will be months, not years. It is also important to understand, I want to underline this, that efficacy for this vaccine has not been demonstrated. In other words, there's no evidence yet that the boosters reduce infections. All we know is that they raise antibody levels, which should mean that they will reduce infections, but that has not yet been shown. Now in the US, the bivalent boosters approved are different than the ones in Canada. There, 
Both Pfizer and Moderna have introduced vaccines that produce antibodies against the original virus, as well against the B4 and B5 Omicron variants. But they have only demonstrated in mice, not in humans, that these vaccines raise antibody levels. And this is why there is some controversy in the U.S., because there are some experts who say that while they don't think that there's any risk associated with the vaccine, they think that as a general policy, vaccines should not be introduced unless they have been tested in humans. In theory, there should be no problem with those vaccines because previous vaccines that have shown uh, elevated antibody levels in mice have also later on been shown to do the same thing uh, in humans. But so far in the U.S., this has not been done. So the uh, U.S. version is actually more specific for the variants that are circulating today than is the Canadian version. How come? Because they applied in the U.S. early on for approval for that vaccine, and the companies did not apply for it in Canada. I think now they have, so eventually we will probably see this approved as well after Health Canada has taken a long scrutinizing uh, look at it. I think uh, everyone agrees that there's no risk with the vaccines, but whether or not they will actually reduce the incidence of infections so far has not been shown. They should, based on theory, based on previous experience, but so far that has not been demonstrated. In any case, though, the best bet is to roll up your sleeves and let that needle plunge in there uh, because uh, the benefits outweigh the risks. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. Let me just repeat the questions that I posed. In what country in the world do most cars run on sugar? In what country in the world do most cars run on sugar? I also uh, asked you uh, about a little project, and you can start getting your kids to, to do this. You want to balance a coin on a lemon. So take a lemon float it in a bowl of water, just large enough so that the lemon floats, and see whether or not you can balance a coin on top of it. If you can, and you send me a video of that, and the coin stays on there for at least five seconds, I will send you a copy of my new book, Quack Quack. It's sort of like the rodeo, you know? If the cowboy stays on that bucking bull for, I don't know what it is, it's just a few seconds, then uh, they kind of win. Well, this is the same thing. We have this bucking lemon in floating around in, in the water. See whether or not you can uh, put a coin on top of it without it falling off. All right. The other question that asked is, why is HG the symbol for the element mercury? If you know the answer to any of these, you give us a call at 514-790-800. You can text to 514 
And of course, you can also call in or text any other question that you may have. I bet many of you this past week uh, saw reports of a study done in England University of Durham where they found that uh, a fetus can respond to the mother's diet. And uh, it is all about uh, vegetables. And it turns out that the fetus made a grimace when the mother was eating uh, powdered kale, but not when eating powdered carrots. Uh, then there was actually a smile on the face of the fetus. This was all done by ultrasound. I I don't know what to, to make of this. I mean, I guess it is sort of interesting. It has some academic potential. But, uh, you know, these days when research money is so hard to come by and there are so many important projects and, and things to find out, uh, I don't know if uh, determining whether or not a fetus will smile or frown uh, if you actually interpret the pictures that we see in that fashion, whether they actually smile or frown in response to the mother-eating concentrated versions of, of carrots or kale. I don't know if that is really uh, uh, something that uh, money should be spent on. And I, I think that this probably was, you know, not an insignificant project in terms of the financial uh, requirements. You had researchers, you had ultrasounds being taken, you had to uh, schedule appointments, etc. So it's sort of an interesting study, but uh, I think somewhere along the way, you know, uh, there has to be some scrutiny over the amount of money that is uh, doled out for research in terms of the potential of that research in, in, uh, paying off somehow. Uh, I do have uh, a couple of people who have answered uh, why HG uh, is the symbol for mercury, and it derives from the Latin for hydrargium. Uh, which uh, literally means liquid silver. This is this is correct. The Romans, of course, uh, were the first ones to actually name this element mercury uh, after the messenger of the gods in, mytholo in mythology, of course. And uh, indeed, hydrargium uh, means liquid silver. And uh, that refers to the uh, mercury's ability to be mobile, and anyone who has played with mercury knows this. If you see some elemental mercury, it will scatter in an impressive way when you hit it. Uh, but this is not something that you should be doing. I mean, I remember as a child playing with, with mercury. But of course, then uh, certainly I didn't know very much about the potential toxicity. Now, the element itself is not all that toxic because uh, you'd have to be inhaling its vapor for quite some time in order to be affected. But mercury compounds, when ingested, certainly are uh, are toxic. And uh, mercury is, uh, of course, present in the environment, uh, especially since coal contains small amounts of mercury. And uh, the mercury is vaporized and released into the air when the coal is burned. And then it comes down with rain into lakes and oceans, and eventually it concentrates in fish. So sharks, swordfish, and mackerel can contain enough mercury to present a risk to pregnant women, nursing mothers, and young children. Uh, so, you know, experts say that uh, even large tuna, tuna should not be eaten more than a couple of times a week because of the concern over mercury. 
but uh, the mercury obviously uh, is a natural uh, component of our environment. But uh, just because it occurs in nature doesn't mean that it is safe. Uh, mercury is potentially toxic, but of course, as we often say, only the dose makes the poison. All right, so since that question was answered, I will replace it with, uh, with another one. Uh, what are the only bones in the body that are not covered by skin? So what are the only bones in the body that are not covered by skin? And again, if you know the answer to that, you give us a call, 514-790-0800, or text to 514-800. The uh, uh, question that I, I uh, asked this morning on the trivia show I think was a relatively easy one, and it was uh, answered very quickly. Um, I said that uh, there was uh, uh, an interesting uh, historical episode when a gentleman uh, by the name of Eben Byers was buried in 1932, uh, and he had to be buried in a casket that was lined with lead, and this uh, man had been taking a patent medicine called Radithor for quite some time. And the question I asked was, you know, why did he have to be buried in a lead-lined casket? And the answer, I think, was, was obvious. Uh, it is because he was actually radioactive. And there's no question about this. Uh, before he died, his teeth had fallen out, his jawbone disintegrated, and holes had formed in his skull. The story is indeed a, a very interesting one. It takes us back to 1927 when um, Eben Byers was injured. Apparently, he fell out of the upper berth in a train uh, when he was uh, uh, reveling in the victory uh, at a football game that he had attended. Anyway, he hurt his arm, and he was in uh, great pain because of that. And he eventually consulted a doctor, Dr. C.C. Moyar, who recommended Radithor. Now, this substance was introduced in 1918 by William Bailey, who at that time already had a reputation as a swindler, having been arrested for uh, soliciting deposits for a new car he claimed he had developed that would cost only $600. The only problem was that there was no such car. He was arrested and he spent 17 months in jail at, at that time. But that's not the interesting part of this story. <clears throat> Charlatans are very quick to pounce upon new discoveries and of course, twist them to their own ends. Uh, Marie and Pierre Curie's Nobel Prize in 1903 for their studies on radioactivity and Marie's individual Nobel in 1911 for the discovery of radium and polonium, uh, had received a great deal of publicity and had catapulted discussion of radium into the public domain, especially after the introduction of Undark. That was the trade name for luminous paint based on the property of zinc sulfide to glow when subjected to radioactive emission from radium. This was a wondrous phenomenon and just what Bailey needed to convince people that they, like zinc sulfide, could also be energized by radium. And I'll tell you that story, but first we've got to take a break. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Do you look upon the universe and wonder in your eyes? 
I challenged you to balance a coin on a floating lemon, and I even offered a prize if you're able to do that. If you send me a video showing that the coin has been balanced for five seconds on that lemon, but write email so that you can send your videos in. So it is joe.schwartz, it's J O E dot S C H W A R C Z at mcgill.ca, mcgill.ca. So joe.schwarcz at mcgill, mcgill.ca. And if you manage to take a video of a lemon floating in water with a coin on top of it that stays there for at least five seconds, send me that video. This is going to be, I think, an interesting kind of a, a challenge. All right, we have Kenny on the line. Hi, Kenny. Hi, uh, the question for the uh, lot review run, run by Sugar. Yeah. Uh, it's it run by Yutro Underground, uh, where the uh, regular engine on Earth called Sugar Cane. Yutro. The what country? Uh, country, it's uh, G Germany. No, no, no. The question was in what country? Are you going to be driving cars that run on sugar? Every car. Uh, in Britain? No. Okay, let me go to Telbis. He's got some an answer to one of the other questions. Uh, uh, may I please have a guess at the country that runs on sugar? Yes. Okay, just a guess, though. Uh, I would say Cuba. No, it isn't Cuba, but that's oh, a interesting. pretty good okay. guess. All right, just okay. what I'm saying, then. So right. I would say, <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh, I would say the only bones that are not covered by skin would be teeth. Yes, exactly, of course. Yeah. And we All even right. have that expression by the skin of our teeth, right? If you just escape from something. Uh, <laughs> well, not many a very times. Close call. <laughs> oh, you're bringing back childhood memories on the back river. What can I say? <laughs> okay. Very good. Right. Okay, thanks so for calling. Of course, right. so uh, the outstanding right question answer? is still the country where you drive cars that run on sugar. Uh, we had So now we have the teeth question uh, answered. Uh, okay, let me then ask you uh, another one. Uh, what determines whether a balloon will float up or not? As you know, some balloons will float up, others will not. What will determine what happens to a balloon? Give us a call at 514-790-800 or text to 514-800. But let me now get back to the uh, quackery about uh, radioactive substances. Well, Radithor was said to be a cure for the living dead with each bottle containing, quote, radioactivity, the greatest therapeutic force known to mankind. It was supposed to cure virtually all diseases and invigorate the sex organs. This was all nonsense, of course. But back then in the early uh, 20th century, there were no laws to, preve to prevent such unsub unsubstantiated claims. In the US, they had the 1906 Food and Drugs Act, and that did address misbranding of products. 
It didn't pay any attention to, to false advertising. Had Radathor not actually contained any radium, and, you know, as, as it claimed on the label that it did contain it, had it not contained, Bailey could have been prosecuted for mislabeling, even though the product in the absence of radium would have been completely safe. However, since Radathor was correctly labeled, it did contain radium, Bailey was safe from prosecution, even though his product was not safe. Well, William Bailey cleverly capitalized on this quirky legislation and offered a $1,000 prize to anyone who could show that Radathor did not contain radium as said on the label. Obviously, the prize could never be claimed because there indeed was radium in the product, enough to cause damage over the long term. Radium is in the same family of the periodic table as calcium and uh, therefore gets incorporated into bone where its radioactivity then will uh, wreak havoc. Now, at $1 per daily dose, and you know, back in the 1920s, that was roughly equivalent to about $15 today. This was very expensive because the regimen said to take one or two doses a day. So Bailey's ads mostly targeted the wealthy, such as Eben Byers, the, the steel magnate I told you about. Much as in the case for many of today's nostrums, initial perceived benefits can be attributed to the placebo effect. But by the time that Byers realized that Radithor wasn't really solving his problems, it was too late. The radium had infiltrated his bones and was destroying them. Radithor was not Bailey's only quack product. In 1922, he introduced arium radium tablets. These would give Superman power to anyone who ingested them. He said, nothing that you have ever seen or tried can be in any way compared to the startling effect of the radium rays as they spread through every nerve, fiber, gland, organ, and tissue of your body when you take arium. Well, of course, there's no evidence that these pills renewed happiness and infused youthful thrill into lives of married people whose attractions to each other had weakened, as went another claim. But radium was very expensive and uh, very difficult to get at the time, so the tablets only contained trace amounts. They were likely not harmful, but neither were they of any use. Bailey's focus in many of his products was often on male enhancement, and he had a specialty item for this as well. He called it the Rady Endocrinator. This was a roughly credit card-sized gizmo, beautifully packaged in a velvet-lined case. What did you do with it? You inserted it into a jockstrap, and you wore it at night to increase male virility. It was said to be the last word in scientific manufacture. Well, it also could have been the last word in sperm manufacture, since the radiandocrinator contained enough radium to cause temporary sterility and possibly cancer. Luckily, with a price tag that ran up to $1,000 in the 1920s, not many men were uh, endocrinated. Well, by no means was William Bailey the only promoter of quack radioactive products. Oh, there were, believe it or not, Vita radium suppositories for restoring sex power, 
radium-infused hair lotions, and in Germany, even a toothpaste with radium that was supposed to prevent dental plaque and make teeth shine with radioactive brilliance. Then there were the radon water scams. Radon gas is produced from the radioactive decay of radium, and that in turn is produced when natural ores of uranium and thorium undergo radioactive decay. Natural springs supposedly had their therapeutic effect because of, of uh, radon in the water, because radon is one of the offsprings, the so-called daughters of, um, of radium. And there was a device sold called the radium ore revigorator. And this supposedly infused water with uh, radon gas. This is not something that one would want to drink. Radon is radioactive. You don't want it inside of your body. And in these, these, these days, of course, we hear all kinds of stuff about wanting to make sure that there's no radon in our basements seeping up from the ground as uranium and thorium uh, decompose. So there was really a lot of quackery back in the 1920s. Uh, William Bailey, the promoter of all this stuff, who himself said he drank Radithor water, well, he died of bladder cancer at age 64. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. get back to the uh, lemon challenge just for a second here because uh, a couple of people have already sent me uh, videos. Uh, the videos have to show your hand placing the coin on the lemon. And also the video has to show who is doing this because, uh, uh, of course, I have to know that you're not just sending me some video that you copied from the uh, internet. So it has to show your hand balancing, put, put the, putting the coin on, on the lemon. And uh, the video also has to include uh, that this is original to show that, who, you know, who you are. And then, of course, I'll be happy to send you, uh, send you a book. But any interesting thing to uh, get your kids doing to balance that coin on the lemon. All right, we have some people waiting on the line. Uh, Cleveland? Cleveland? I'm not yes. sure. I'm here. Yes. yes. Is it Cleveland? Yes, Cleveland. Like the city? Yes, like the city. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, about your, the, the question uh, for the balloon. Yes. Yes, you also question uh, the difference of uh, the balloon that float and one that not float. Right. That's your question? Okay. I think the one that float, the one it has air in it, and the one that don't float, there's no air. Uh, no. No? No. What, what, is, what is the basic principle of why one type of balloon would go up and another one would not? What is the criterion? That's what I'm uh, thinking, that the one that goes up, it, you have to put air in it for it to go up, it floats. 
But if no. you don't put air in the balloon, it, it it won't float. No, no, this is not this is not what we're talking about. You oh, can okay. have two kinds of balloons. One will go up, and the other one will not. The question is why. Oh, okay. Okay. All, All right. right. Thank you. Uh, I think. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Bonnie, I think, has a question. Mm, um, it would depend upon the type of gas that's in the balloon, I would assume. Well, well, what is the principle? Yes, of course, it depends on the type of gas. But uh, give the me the general... Uh, would be gravity or what's lighter than the gravitational pull? No, the gravitational pull is exactly the same on, on whatever balloon there is. Okay. Oh, the heaviness of the gas that's put into the balloon? Well, yes, but... but uh, okay. I, I, I want it expressed as a general principle. Okay. When, Moving on, Dr. Joe. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that the, the new bivalent vaccines have not been, their efficacy has not been proven in humans. Now, right. the Moderna, or thank you so much for saying that, um, the Moderna has been given out for months, or the bivalent Moderna in England, and yes. I'm surprised they haven't tested its efficacy in humans there. Or right. I'm just well, question yeah, it just, it has not been out long enough to determine efficacy. Because okay. It, it, you and, and know, would uh, that include I mean, the efficacy of decreasing the severity? Um, I, I think we can pretty well assume that it will decrease the severity based on all the other vaccines. Okay. That, that and, we can assume. But I think based on the fact that England has introduced it earlier than here, we will soon have some evidence to see what the infection rates are in England. But, you know, okay. it takes time to accumulate that, uh, that kind of data. Okay, and the single variant vaccines, because I'm mm -hmm. due for another one, and I, I believe in these vaccines, or I have, but um, I want to make sure I'm getting the, the best one for the next five or six months. Um, the single variant vaccines that have been given out, that efficacy has been proven in humans. Is that correct? The, the original vaccine for the SARS-CoV-2 virus, yes. The efficacy of that has been proven. That, that does work. So it's, okay. it's only the, the more recent ones, the, the bivalent ones, for which there's evidence of increased antibody levels but there is no evidence yet that they actually reduce infection rates. But I suspect we will have that evidence because based on everything we know, the increase in antibodies should parallel a reduction in infection rate. Okay, Great. so, all thank right, you. thank you. Okay, Mark, I think, has an answer to my sugar question. Oh, hi, Dr. Joe. Um, is hi. the answer for the uh, sugar cane uh, for the fuel for cars, is it Brazil? Yes, it is Brazil. Brazil, of course, produces more sugar cane than any other country in the world. Mm -hmm. And sugar cane can be fermented and produce ethanol. And by exactly. law, in Brazil, every car has to be able to run on ethanol. And there are cars that run solely on ethanol. Now, even he here, 
we have some blends where gasoline contains about 10% ethanol, but our cars cannot run on 100% ethanol. But in Brazil, many cars can. So that's quite right. It is Brazil, and it's because of the uh, sugarcane production. Okay, thanks very much. All right, getting back to the balloon. And James, of course, has an answer. James has an answer to every question that I ever ask. And uh, the the answer, of course, is that for uh, a balloon to be able to float, the mass of that balloon... Uh, including whatever is in the balloon, has to weigh less than the weight of the volume of air that it displaces. That is the key to uh, buoyancy. So if you have a balloon that contains helium, that balloon, including the weight of the rubber and the weight of the helium, will weigh less than the weight of the air that is displaced by that volume and then it will go up. Uh, if uh, the balloon with whatever gas is inside of it is is heavier than the equal volume of air, then it's, of course it will uh, sink uh, down. All right, so we've uh, solved uh, that issue, and I think with that we have answered the all the questions that I, I posed uh, today. And I, I look forward to seeing the videos of uh, attempts to float a coin on the uh, on the lemon. And uh, then, of course, we'll have to discuss why that is so difficult to do. I mean, you would assume that this should not pose such a great difficulty that, you know, if you're just careful, you can just, you know, uh, balance it. But if you try it, you'll find that uh, that is, uh, is not the case. So again, uh, send me your videos. It's uh, joe.schwartz at mcgill.ca. And once again, let me remind you uh, to uh, keep an eye out for our website, which is mcgill.ca slash OSS, because you'll find lots of interesting information there and uh, lots of good videos. And if you want to sign up for the short videos that I produce every week, which are informative, for example, this past week, I did one on the bivalent vaccines. If you want to sign up, Uh, To get those videos, just toss me an email. So again, it's joe.schwartz at mcgill.ca, and I'll uh, put you on the list. I usually do about two of these a week, and they're, you know, in the ballpark of three to four minutes, and I try to make them interesting, of course, and uh, I uh, uh, try to incorporate whatever new information is out there. Well, that's it. We run out of time today, and hopefully you've learned something about radioactivity, you learned something about uh, floating balloons and why HG is the symbol for uh, mercury. That's it. We are smack out of time, but let me once more wish a very, very happy new year to all of our uh, Jewish listeners. Shana Tova, and we will see you same time, same station next week.